Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we are continuing today our series that we've been going through, that we started last week, uh, looking at our mission statement, where we are looking at what God is calling us to do as a church and how we're going to put that into effect. So our mission statement is how we're going to put into effect what we believe God has called us to do. Uh, and so really the, the vision, go and make disciples to what, what God commands us in the Great Commission. But how are we going to do that? We look to um, this idea of know, grow, and go. And so that way, if someone were to ask you, hey, what is New Bethel about? We want to know, grow, and go. Know God, grow in faith, and go make disciples. And so last week, we looked at this idea of know. And so we broke it down, and we wanted to know God, have a relationship with Him, to be saved by Him by what Jesus has done. Through that, knowing God, having a relationship with him, we can then know our individual purpose. What has God created you? What has he created me to do in this life for him? What has he created us to do? And then we also know that we should know one another. That's the church where we come together to do this work alongside one another, to live into our purpose and to know God in relationship together with one another. So today we're talking about grow. And I'll tell you, this sermon, this particular message has been one that I've really had to wrestle with God through this. There's been things that he's laid on my heart. There's been things where at times he kind of just really tore me apart, showing me some things about what, and I truly believe this, if we will put these things into practice in our lives individually and as a church, that is how, as we'll see in this verse, we will grow individually, collectively, as a body of believers. So what does it mean to grow? What does it mean to grow? Let's talk about this idea first. What does it mean to grow? And, and I don't know if you noticed this. I forgot to mention it last week, but last week's um, background, I always try to be intentional with the backgrounds to my sermon slides, but last week it was a dandelion. Because if there's one thing, you know, the, the, the yellow part, which Eliza loves to bring me those little flowers. I brought you a flower, and I know that's a dirty, filthy weed. Why is that in my yard? But I had the yellow part, because the initial part, the initial plant is like our initial relationship with God, knowing God. This week, as you see, this is the, the pesky part, where they grow, and you see that growth. They go from this yellow, sort of looks like a flower, to something that's very dangerous. They grow, okay? So what is required for growth? We think about plants most often. Well, first, you need some dirt. So I, I have some dirt this morning. Um, now, don't have a conniption. I'm not, I'm not going to make a mess, okay? Um, but you don't just need dirt. You need some seeds, okay? And then you... If you're going to do it inside, you need something to put it in. And so what we're going to do for a moment is this is the process. You have to have the components. What is going to grow? The seed. The, the, the pot's not going to grow. The dirt's not going to grow. The seed is what grows. And so if you'll give me a moment just to kind of rip this open. I hope this isn't making too much noise for you. Okay, rip this open. And see, I'm going to use this because I'm, I'm going to try to be smart about it. I'm going to dip it in here. Get some dirt out. Okay. Okay, so we got some dirt. I made a little mess. We can clean it up, okay? So you get the dirt, and then you're going to put... I did it the right way, okay? So then you're going to put the seed. I think that's a seed. The seed, they're small, okay? The seed goes in, into the dirt. You put it down in there. And then what else do you need? Water and sunlight, absolutely. So you put some water in there. Not too much. Okay. So that is what... You do to plant a seed, and then from that, if you, if you keep watering it, you, you let it grow, it eventually 
will look like something sort of like this, a plant, something that has grown and produced from what was done. Okay? Kind of dirty now. All right, so that is what we think about with growing. There is something that is growing. There is a stimulus, some input. There's the dirt, the nutrients in the dirt. There's the water. There's the sunlight. And there's also time. It didn't just spring up immediately, okay? So that's what we think about. That is the, the same process of growth that happens through pretty much anything. You want to get stronger? Well, you've got to go to the gym and work out, eat the right food, and over time you'll see results. So we're going to look at this idea of growing. So it's really not dissimilar for us as we grow in our faith, as we want to grow in this part. So we're going to read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and then we're going to get into this today. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for this day you've given us. We thank you for this time that we have to come together, this time that we can look at your word, we can see what it means for us to grow in our relationship with you, to grow in our faith, and and what that looks like and the impact that can have in our lives and in in the world around us. God, I pray that you will be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first part of this process is that we grow in faith. That's the, that's the main part. Grow in faith. All these are going to parallel, right? So we know God and then we grow in our faith. So in this passage, we see the growth of the early church. Jesus has ascended. He's given them their commission to go and make disciples or to be his witnesses in all the earth. The day of Pentecost happens. Peter preaches on Pentecost. People come to salvation. This is what is happening in the church, the gathering, the body of Christ. This is the culmination of God's plan of salvation was accomplished at the resurrection, and in Pentecost we see the next step of this plan, the unleashing of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit, to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. So they are growing in their faith, and we see this in this passage at the beginning. Part of what we need to do to grow in our faith is we have to grow in our knowledge of God. We have to grow in our knowledge of God. So we see them doing this, Acts chapter 2, 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we see they are doing this together. They are coming together, and they are are worshiping together, they are praying together, and they are learning. They are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. We need to understand here, devoting is, is a much different word to occasionally. They were regularly engaging with the teaching of the apostles. So we see this idea, how do we grow in our knowledge of God? From this example and through other things, we see corporate worship, what we're doing right now. This should stimulate the growth of believers in Christ. And you've heard me say that before. That's why it's so important that we as believers go on mission, which we talk about next week, and and try to evangelize ourselves so that this remains a place where you're able to grow in your faith. We should grow through corporate worship. You grow through Sunday school or small groups where you come together and you discuss God's word with one another. 
And really, when we get to the root of it all, in those things, how we grow, what are we teaching? It's not my opinion. It's not your Sunday school teacher's opinion. Hopefully, it's not my opinion. Hopefully, it's not your Sunday school teacher's opinion. It is what? The Bible. The Word of God. And, And here's the beautiful thing. They didn't have the Bible that they could take home with them at that time. The printing press didn't exist until around the time, like like the 1500s, around that time. So there's a long time where people are having to either have handwritten copies that they're sharing pieces of, or having to just have it read to them, because a lot of people couldn't read for a long time. They had to rely on other people. You don't have to rely on anyone else. You can go and see for yourself. If you hear me say something in a sermon, I want you to check it and verify it. And if I'm wrong, please tell me, but do it kindly. I don't, don't hurt my feelings anyway. I don't intend to. I want to take a moment to you and express that this is the most profound and important book that you can ever encounter. There's a lot of books that are, 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 are fun to read. They're, they can maybe even impact your life in a positive way. The Bible is so profound. We have God's very word in our own hands. I want you to understand that there are people, believers, in parts of this world where they don't have large access or ready access to the Bible, they will take pages and pass them around and share them among believers, reading one page from Scripture, and then they'll pass it to a sister church that they will trade pages and read pages so they can know God and know His Word, and they can grow in their faith. But we have God's very Word in our hands. I don't know how about you. I have a lot of Bibles in different translations so I can see exactly how different people have interpreted it. I could go and read the Greek text and if you don't know how to read it, there are tools that will help you to understand the Greek text, the Hebrew text. You have it for free on your phone, on your computer. If you don't like this translation, switch it to that one. There are audio Bibles for free now that you can access. However, among evangelical Protestants, what we are, only 63% of people read their Bible at least once a week. Now, that sounds, I mean, it's more than half. That's only once a week. So we have God's very word once a week, or not that. Almost 20%, 18%, seldom to never reading their Bible. Why? So the Gospel Coalition had a really good article about the reasons that we don't read our Bible. The first one they listed is that it convicts us. I don't know about you, but maybe you have had this experience, especially when you were younger, but there's times in your life where maybe there's certain people you want to avoid because you know they're going to tell you something that you don't want to hear, right? Maybe you're, you're thinking about doing this certain thing, and you know that maybe your parents were going to disapprove, so you don't go talk to your parents anymore. You have a friend that's trying to speak some sense into your life, and so you just kind of avoid their calls for a time being. The Bible will convict you. When you read it, you're going to see God's standard laid against you, and you're going to see how your life doesn't stack up. And so sometimes that's uncomfortable. So that's the first step. It's convicting. There's also the statement that they think is too complicated. People might think it's too complicated. And I'll tell you what, I think that's a big part of it for people. The Bible, we're going to see it in a minute, is so deep and profound that you cannot exhaust the beauty of the Bible in your lifetime or in in, in all of your lifetimes. I, I truly believe that. Then there's the next one. We are undisciplined. You know how many times I've heard people say, well, it's just hard to read the Bible. I don't have time. Well, it doesn't really take that long to read. And, you know, I, we, we talked about the, the, the phrase twiddling your thumbs. People don't just really just sit around and twiddle. But, you know, how, how funny is it that that actually is what we do now when we just play on our phone? We're just scrolling, twiddling our thumb back and forth. 
So we're undisciplined. We think it's boring. That's the farthest thing then from what could be true, but it at times could be hard to read. It's not written in a contemporary way at times, and people might think it's boring. And the last one they said, and this is really kind of the heart of it, and I think all of them play a factor for people to some way or some extent, but we have a dysfunctional relationship with God. Here's the deal. If we don't value God's Word, there is something off. There is some disconnect. We haven't gotten to that stage yet. Because I, I, I don't dare you to do this, but imagine you told your spouse, you know, I really just don't want to talk to you anymore. Can we just sit in different rooms and never talk? That would just really be nice. That's not going to fly. But how come we don't want and value God's word to us? I want to hear from God. Have you picked your Bible up recently? So it starts with a dysfunctional relationship. There is some issue with whether we we hold it in value and what esteem we hold it. And then there's those other contributing factors. Because when it's hard to understand for us, and we have a difficulty reading it, it just becomes easier to put those things off. I think really the combination of it all is expressed very well in what Paul says to the Corinthians as he describes the Corinth believers in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. Here's the deal. I think in the American church in particular, many Christians don't develop past infancy or toddlerhood. They can't handle the solid food of Scripture because they never learn to progress from it. But I want you to imagine, I want you to think about this, this idea of, of every person starts drinking milk. But as they grow, maybe there's, there's still some milk. I'm not a big milk drinker, but a lot of people continue to drink milk through their life. But I promise you, most people, even if they like milk, if you told them that's all you can have from now on as an adult, they're going to be kind of sad because maybe they enjoy milk, but steak's pretty good too. And so what we have to do in the church is get to a point where we progress past only having milk, only having these small little bites, and we get to where we can devour the solid food of Scripture. Now, part of the problem I think happens when people try to go after the solid food and they're not ready for it yet. Don't give your baby a piece of steak. It's not going to work out. They need to be where they're at, but they have to grow. They have to progress. And I want to take a moment and just explore with you uh, just an example of, I think, the the riches and the depth of what Scripture has to offer. Because I can say it to you, but I want to show you this visual that you can see on the screen. So I don't know if you've seen this image before. This was made by Chris Harrison and a pastor named Christoph Romhild. And, and what they did is they took Scripture and they showed every cross-reference that happens in Scripture. I'm going to read their description of it. The bar graph that runs along the bottom represents all the chapters in the Bible. Starting with Genesis 1 on the left, books alternate in color between light and dark gray, with the first book of the Old Testament and New Testament in white. The length of the, each bar denotes the number of verses in that chapter. For instance, the longest bar is the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. Each of the, now I want you to hear this, 63,779 cross-references found in the Bible are depicted by a single arc. 
The color corresponds to the distinct the distance between the two chapters, creating a rainbow-like effect. If you if you didn't get that, that averages 53.6 cross-references in scripture per chapter. 63,779 cross-references. What does this mean? This means that the Bible is constantly talking about and referencing itself. The Bible is is 66 a collection of 66 books. Old Testament, New Testament, with various styles and authors, but what is abundantly clear is that the Bible is one story. It is God's story that he has given to us. And beginning to interact with Scripture in a deeper way will help you to see the fullness of this depth. And it continues to blow me away the more time I spend in Scripture. I want to share with you one of the most impactful examples of one of the cross-references that I was reminded of recently. And it centers around the crucifixion of Christ. And I want, to take, I want you to take a moment. You can close your eyes if you want to, whatever's going to help you to focus. And I want you to think about the crucifixion. It should be fairly easy. We just had, we celebrated Easter not too long ago. We, we, we talked about the crucifixion. Think about what's happening there. Think about Jesus on the cross, the, the two on each side, one on each side. Those mocking him, the soldiers Gambling for his clothes. Those that were there watching that followed him. Think about that scene. And we're going to zoom in now to Matthew 27, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I know this is probably something you've heard before. And this is something that I know when I was reading Scripture, when I was young in my faith, I, had, I, didn't, I was like, what does this mean? Did God reject Jesus? Like, what does that mean? And as I grew, I began to understand that Jesus bore the weight of our sin. He bore the wrath of God. And so very well you would feel rejected. But as I got further, I, I realized and I was reminded recently of what I believe to be the fullest meaning of what Jesus is saying there. Now, to fully illustrate this, I'm going to need you to work with me. I know we're Baptists here. I know we don't always talk in church. I hear a few amens, but we're not very vocal. Okay, so we're going to do a little exercise here. And so I want you to respond to what naturally comes to your mind. If nothing comes to your mind, you can just say quiet. But if you respond, please say it loudly so we can hear you. Okay? God is good. And all the time. Okay? Jesus loves me. Absolutely. Hey. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay. Because in your life, in your formation as a believer, these things have become apparent that when you hear this thing, it reminds you of something else. Now, here's what you have to understand. The people in attendance, in particular the Pharisees, had a greater knowledge than most of us do of the Old Testament. In particular, they were in a more oral tradition, so they would remember and memorize things in ways that we don't. And so what did Jesus say on the cross? My God, my God, what, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? So just like what you saw in the previous passages, well, the previous things we said starts with the exact same words. And those, belie- those Pharisees there, when they heard that, what should have came to their mind 
was Psalm 22. Now, the power in this comes when you look at what follows in some of the later verses in Psalm 22. And I'll just tell you, I haven't gotten through this yet without getting emotional about it. Okay, so he's saying this on the cross. Think about what you pictured. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen through 18. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And so on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In their minds, it should direct them to Psalm 22. Lo and behold, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy and telling them he's doing it. But it gets better than that. It gets even better. Psalm 22, 23 through 31. This is the end of it, okay? Remember, why have you, why have you rejected me? Why have you, why have you forsaken me? You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I'll perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him they shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And so Jesus isn't just quoting, saying, Hey, I'm fulfilling this prophecy. He's telling them what he's doing. I want you to understand this that through Jesus, There was a plan undergoing. God was fulfilling his plan to redeem the fall of Adam that he promises Abram in Genesis 12 that all families of the earth will be blessed through him, which its very self was referenced in this passage that all the families of the earth will return to the Lord. Proclaimed by David in Psalm 22 and declared from the cross by Jesus so that we can gather here today, and as it says in verses 30 and 31, that it should be told of the Lord to the coming generation and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That on the cross, Jesus is fulfilling the plan and the purpose that God has set forth from the beginning. And he's telling them this if they would listen. That's one cross reference in the Bible. His word is so exceedingly beautiful All of Scripture testifies to the goodness of God, to the love of our God. That in everything he was working toward the work of Jesus so that we might know him and he might be glorified. And he gave us the Bible so we can marvel at his goodness, that we can marvel at all that he's done for us so that we can grow in our faith, grow in our knowledge of him. If you are bored by the Bible, it is not because the Bible is boring. You just need to start where you are 
and progress. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Okay, so we spent a lot of time there. There's other things we also have access to today. There's the Bible. That is the, the solid food, the meat. But if you ever had, heard the idea of supplements, people take supplements on a daily basis. Why? To supplement and help them to grow. It's not a replacement for, it's not in place of food. That would be pretty bad if you only took a supplement. So we have study Bibles. We have commentaries. You can, you can listen to a sermon from any pastor you want pretty much across America today. After, every day of the week. You could fill your entire week with last Sunday's sermons as a supplement to your growth and knowledge of God. So we need to grow in our knowledge of God, but we also need to grow in our trust of God. We must learn to trust God so that we more regularly follow His plans for us rather than our own. And the unfortunate thing about this for us is it's not always an easy process. Growth comes through struggle. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, we see how Sunday school often ties in with the sermon. But we talked about in Sunday school how the disciples or how, or how the people of Israel had to trust God and they were refined in the desert, how Jesus was tempted in the desert and they were refined. The same thing happens to us. We are tempted. We go through trials. And when, when God sees us through those things, we remember what he's done. We trust him through the trials and we focus on what he's going to do. We become steadfast. Now, to continue this example, the plants that remain are not the ones that stand the tallest, but have the deepest roots. And that is what it means to be steadfast. There are believers that you could look at and you can see abundant amount of fruit in their life. But if hard times come to those believers, sometimes they struggle, sometimes it's hard. And there's believers that maybe they don't look the prettiest. Maybe they don't have the same beautiful fruit. They're, 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 the flower right? It might not be the same look, but they are consistent and they are faithful. We have to be steadfast in our faith, trusting in God. We have to grow in our trust of God. And we also have to grow in our holiness. We have to conform to his likeness. Be holy because I am holy is what he calls us to do. Now here's the deal. We are extremely malleable creatures. That's why peer pressure is such a problem. You go somewhere, everyone else is doing something, guess what? It's tempting to do the same. We want to form and be molded by what's around us. We have to make sure that we are molded by God. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are supposed to change. We are supposed to conform and transform, but to God and not the world. So we should grow in our holiness as well. So that's the grow in faith part. We talked last week about when we know God, we can also know our purpose. And so if we know our purpose, we should also be growing in our ability. So we should grow in our ability. First, first and Second Timothy, I think, are great examples through the whole book of this because it's a letter to one person. Most of the books in the Bible are letters to multiple people. This is to Timothy from Paul. And he's telling him, here's what you need to do to live into your purpose. You need to grow in this way, avoid these things, do these things. Here's how you grow in your purpose. And you also see how he equips him to help the churches. Hey, if someone was going to be an overseer or an elder, 
here's their qualifications. If someone's going to be a deacon, here's their qualifications. You've got to make sure people, to live into their purpose, know what is expected and required of them. So through that, we work on our strengths and we work on our weaknesses. I want to give you a very specific example that you guys hopefully can see. Before I got here, we had someone that, that filled the pulpit at least once or twice. Nick Scott, right? Alan Scott at, at Oak Hill's son. And, and right now, Nick and Melissa are missionaries in Japan. And they knew that. They felt the call of God, that it was their purpose for whatever period of time that God has set for them to be missionaries, his witnesses in Japan. And so, what are they going to do? Well, you got to prepare for that. You got to learn Japanese. You got to grow in your ability to do what God's calling you to do. He didn't call them because they were people that knew Japanese. He called them because they had a heart for him, and he revealed to him this is where they were going. So they worked on their ability. So here's what I want you to do. As you think about your purpose that God has given you, there are a couple words I want you to think about. What, why, how. What, why, how. So what is your purpose? What is God calling you to do? That was last week. Know your purpose. Why? Why is God calling you to do that? Because you need to have clarity and conviction about why that is what God calls you to do. Because if you don't have motivation and conviction the follow-through is a lot less likely to happen. And so how do you do it? How do you go about doing this? That's what you have to do. So think about this sentence that you can see up there. I know God wants me to blank because blank. To do this, I need to focus on blank. So I know God wants me to, so for example, for Nick and Melissa, I know God wants us to be missionaries in Japan because he said to make disciples of all nations. To do this, we need to focus on learning Japanese culture and learning Japanese. So what about you? What if this is your story? I know that God wants me to share my faith with those around me. Maybe it's a particular person. Because the Bible clearly says we're called to share our faith. To do this, I need to focus on being more confident in how to share the gospel and overcoming my fear of what others will think of me. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, you have to identify why and how you can do it. Here's another one. I know God wants me to raise my children to follow him because he has entrusted them to me. To do this, I need to focus on making my faith apparent to them and teaching them the truth of Scripture. I think that the problem is that we can easily get, easily for us to get caught up in this journey. Do you know do you know what to do? If you know what you're supposed to do, do you know why? Is it convincing to you? If you know why, do you know how? And here's the important part. Are you putting it into practice? Are you doing the things you need to do to make sure that you grow in your faith? Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that are pretty simple to do in theory, but the process in doing it is the hard part. We know we can grow in our faith by reading the Bible. 63% do it once a week. 20% sell them to never. The problem isn't always knowing what, why, or how. It's putting it into practice. And lastly, we see we need to grow in community. You don't just need to be a part of the church. You should be actively involved in the church. 
So let's read that passage again that we started with. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing the proceeds, proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's what I want you to see here. That whole passage, what did it talk about? They gathered together. They devoted themselves. It was the body of believers, the church, doing this together growing in community. They were selling what they had to meet other people's needs. Oh, you can't, you can't pay what you need to pay right now? Guess what? I have this thing I don't need. I'm going to sell it and make sure you have what you need. They were living out the love of Jesus in community. As a church, we're not just a group of people. We should not be just a group of people that come together once or twice a week, maybe a couple more, and talk about God sing songs together. We are a community of believers that should be for one another, discipling one another, helping spur one another on to growth in Jesus Christ. As it says in the Bible, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. The point of the church is to be the body of Christ, working together, building each other up. And when that happened, what do we see? What is the result of believers that know him? So that the no part's there. They all are believers. They know him. They have a relationship with him. They were devoted to growing in their faith individually. They were learning about the disciples. They were figuring out what God was calling them to do. And they were doing it in community. What do we see the last result was? And the Lord added to their number daily, day by day, those who were being saved. Growth of the body happens when there's growth within the body. If we want to see lost people be saved, if we want to see our church grow and be what God calls it to be, it happens when there is growth occurring within the body. That we're growing individually and that we're growing together into what God calls us to be. I want to revisit this example that I had here. So right here, I have some more seeds. I have some more water. I could get another vase. I didn't bring one up here. I have more dirt. Is this going to grow? Together they grow. Also, do they grow if you don't put them together? They grow. The, The pieces can be there. You can have everything you need in place, but if there is not action and obedience, there is not growth. So in our life, we have so much access to Scripture. There are so many churches in our community and across the nation. We have so much access to growth and community and everything we need to grow. And the question we need to ask ourselves is why have we not grown more than we have individually? And so you might be sitting here today and you might have struggled to grow in your faith. You may have grown and then you just kind of stopped. You hit a plateau. Or maybe you would like to grow more than you're growing. And I want you to honestly ask yourself, why? 
Why are you not where you might want to be? Why are you not growing the way that the Bible calls you to grow? It's because it takes more than just the ingredients. It takes obedience. And where there is obedience, the Holy Spirit will come alongside and provide the growth. And I don't say this to shame anyone here. Every person, myself included, should seek to grow more in their faith every day. I look back countless times and see, man, if I had only done these things at this time, I could be so much farther in my walk with Christ than I am today. But the words I have that we see from Paul in Philippians 13, or 3, 13 through 14 could not be more true. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's what I want to tell you today. God does not shame you. I mean, it's not right not to grow, but there is forgiveness for lack of obedience. There is grace for you. And the call that we see in Scripture is to, for, is to put that behind you. Don't let the devil take those things and shame you and tear you down, but strain toward the goal. From this moment forward, say, I want to and I commit to growing in Christ. I know the tools I have. I know the tools I need. And I know what I need to do, and I'm going to put it into play. And then a year from now, 10 years from now, you will be somewhere that you maybe never dreamed of because you put them into practice. It will happen when we, when we are focused on what's ahead instead of what's behind or even what's happening right now. We strain toward the goal in Christ Jesus and we're obedient and we pursue it. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will certainly grow in our faith and we'll grow as a body of believers. I firmly believe that. But I want to be clear here. This goal that we are striving for, this obedience and work that I'm speaking about only applies to a person that knows God. Any amount of effort, any amount of trying and striving to produce salvation will result in nothing. The Bible is clear. The reason Jesus came was to make a way where we could not. And so this morning, if you're sitting here and, and you, you, you want to know God, you want to grow, you need to first ask yourself, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for you? Have you acknowledged your sinfulness, understood the gravity, the weight of your sin, that Jesus would go to the cross for it? Do you believe that he went to the cross for it, that he died for you and was raised again? And if you believe that, have you confessed him as your Lord and Savior? Have you proclaimed, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow him with my life? That is what it means to know God. And if you do know him, are you taking the steps of obedience to what he's calling you do, to do to grow? Because my hope and my sincerest prayer is that from this moment forward, we as a church can seek as individuals and as a body to grow in the way he calls us to. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you will be with us this morning that you will just convict each of us in our hearts of where we are with you, whether it is where we are supposed to be, whether we are doing the things you call us to do. God, I pray that when you convict us, you will also reveal to us how we can follow you in more obedience, how we can follow you in a way that glorifies and honors you. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone who does not know you today, that today would be the day that 
you would convict them of of the sin that is in their life, their need for salvation, and that you would convict them and and challenge them to believe. You You would place that seed of faith in their life, that they would believe the gospel, that that person that believes in you would then grow in their faith. God, I pray that you'd move among us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.